0: in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll begin to read this morning in verse number 18. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak on this subject, a Christmas reminder, a Christmas reminder. Please stand with me this morning, all those that can, that are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Just one verse of Scripture this morning, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, where Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once, sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit let's pray together father we ask that your holy spirit that's already this morning lord spoken to our hearts and challenged us and encouraged us this same holy spirit god will convict lost people of their sin and their need for christ today father i pray that you'll convict those again who are backslid of where they stand spiritually. They're out of fellowship really with you. God, I pray that you'll remind us this morning from your word what Christmas is really all about in a world where there are so many voices. that are trying to speak to us and trying to convince us. I pray that we'll be reminded from your word this morning what Christmas is really all about, why Christ really came. God, I pray as we come to an invitation that which you are willing to do today will be done as we yield our hearts and lives to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. We do live in a culture where Christmas has been uh, just so commercialized, you know. And, and I, I, love Christmas and I enjoy every part of Christmas, you know. And if you think less of me, we'll just pray for me more. Um, but you know, we've got a Christmas tree and we've got presents. And, you know, and don't throw stones. There might even be a Santa Claus uh, or two uh, in places. And so we, we celebrate Christmas in a lot of different ways. But our house friend, we always get back to what Christmas is really all about. And the main thing is always the main thing. And Christmas is about Jesus Christ. It's about his, his birth. And so I truly believe within all my heart, if you keep those things in balance, those other things don't become idols. And you can celebrate in all those other ways as long as they're God-honoring and they don't detract from the message or distract us from what Christmas is really all about. And so we need to be reminded this morning. It is an opportunity for a good reminder for us to get back to what Christmas is really all about. This is one of the most concise statements in all the Bible concerning why Jesus was born over 2,000 years years ago. I want you to notice first off this morning that that Jesus came, he was born first off to suffer for sin. It's hard to look as Butch was singing, I was on the front row and so I'm able to look at this manger scene that's right down here in front of us. And as we look back to our text from our connection classes this morning and we see that tiny little baby uh, laying in a manger uh, to think about before she swaddled him. Uh, that little bitty baby, friend. Everybody, if you don't like a baby, there's just something wrong with you. Everybody likes a baby, and loves a baby to see those little cheeks, those little tiny hands begin to move about. All you have to do is just touch the center, and they'll grasp your finger. Their, uh, their just their little breath, their nose, their mouth, uh, everything about them. Uh, you just you love a baby. And to imagine that the Word God became flesh and dwelt among us. And and truly, as as the shepherds looked into that starry sky that night, the one that put all those stars in place, the book of Colossians says, was laying in a manger in Bethlehem just miles away from them. And so we think about that and we're, we're left with wonder. We need to get back and be reminded, though, friend, that that little baby was born so that he might grow into a man. And 33 and one half years later would be nailed to an old rugged cross. First off, so that he could suffer for our sin. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Why? Because Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned. And that's a problem that all of us share. All mankind sins. Once Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, By one man sin entered the world... And death through sin. And so there was a problem that sin left. Romans 623 says that the penalty for sin, the, 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 the wages of sin is, is death. Isaiah chapter 53 verses three through seven. Isaiah prophesied some seven hundred years before about what Christ would suffer for us as he would become our Sin substitute, the the pain that he would suffer. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3 says, And he was despised and rejected by men. This was after the baby grew, after Jesus began his earthly ministry. The Bible says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. The Bible says he came into his own, the book of John says, and his own received him not. The promise had been fulfilled. The the promise that God had made to the Jews, that I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed. He was here. He was walking in their midst. And they would not receive him, nor did they esteem him. He was despised and rejected. Verse 4 says, though, that as he was nailed to the cross, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteem Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was laid upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Verse 10 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Think about that. Friend, I've had to discipline my children, but I can assure you this. It never pleased me. When You know, when I heard a boy say, he says, my daddy always said, son, this is going to hurt uh, me more than it hurts you. And he says, well, it must have hurt my daddy a whole lot uh, because it sure hurt me. Friend, any parent that enjoys disciplining their child, you've got problems. You've got serious issues. But because we do love our children, it's not punishment. We want to correct wrong behavior. It's never punitive. We want to correct, but the Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus Christ. Why? Because God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son on the cross. He bruised Jesus on the cross. He took our place so that whosoever, that's you, that's me, that's anybody, that's the hooker on the corner, that's the pedophile, that's the Muslim with a bomb strapped to their belly that wants to blow people up. Christ died that all people might be saved. For God so loved the world, He gave His own begotten Son, whosoever believed Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says, Jesus suffered and it pleased the Lord for Him to do so. It pleased Him to watch His Son suffer because of what it would accomplish. The Bible says He is putting to grief when you make His soul an offering for sin. We need to be reminded that's what, that's what Christmas is all about. Christ came that he might suffer for our sin. Why? Well, again, look at verse number 18 of our text in 1 Peter 3. For Christ suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust. Jesus had never committed any sin. No fault was found in him whatsoever. And so he became our sacrifice. Romans 6.23 again says, The wages of sin is death. And Christ suffered for us, the just for the unjust. Well, how did he suffer? Well, first off, he suffered emotionally. Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 44, share that scene again in the garden. Many movies have been made uh, about Christ uh, and his death on the cross. I remember 20 years ago, one was made by Mel Gibson. And everybody thought, oh, boy, this is just going to evangelize the world. And listen... All those things can help. But friend, I want to remind you again, there is no better and more perfect depiction of what took place in Calvary than what you find in God's Word. The Bible doesn't say, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by a movie. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So don't ever think, you know, man can help the gospel out someone. The gospel is perfect. God doesn't need our help. It is a privilege to be a part of telling people how to be saved. And so... The Bible teaches that there as he was in the garden, he was humbled. Verse 41 says, he was withdrawn from them, just about a stone's throw away. These were those that came with him to, to help him pray, but all they did was sleep. And the Bible says that he knelt down and he prayed. Verse 42 says, he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Well, what was in the cup? Well, it wasn't the nails. He didn't look and see the pain of the cross. He, he didn't look and see the nails. It wasn't the scourging that he was about to endure. What he looked into the cup and saw that he wanted to take away was something Jesus had never experienced. And it wasn't separation from God. It was he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ was made sin. And the thought of that made him suffer emotionally. But look at how he prayed. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so the Bible says in verse number 44 that an angel appeared to strengthen, verse 43, but then being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, listen, and as he thought about it, as he, as he went through what was going to take place when he became sin, when he experienced something he'd never experienced, when he took all our sin upon him, the Bible says he sweat, it became as it was, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Friend, he was so stressed emotionally that he suffered. I can tell you, friend, I've, I've endured some stress in my life just like you have, but I've never had blood start coming out through my pores as a result of it. He suffered emotionally. Not only that, friend, he suffered physically. The scourging that he endured prior to ever getting to Calvary. The stripes that were laid upon him. You you would not even have been able to recognize his body. That cat of nine tails that, that Rome used at that time, friend, it was designed to tenderize and to shred all in one motion. Balls of lead were intertwined in those thongs of leather. As they hit the body, it's much like when you make a cube steak and you take that big metal mallet and begin just to beat that tough beef. It's cheap beef. And you're trying to make it to where you can chew it. And you start just tenderizing that. It's it's that that executioner, would would the guy that would throw that cat of nine tails against the one that was going to be scourged. Those metal balls would tenderize the meat in the body. And then bits of bone and metal would dig in like sawbriars. And then he knew as it dug into him how to pull it to just rip away. That's what Jesus Christ endured for you and me. That's before he even got to Calvary. And history shows that oftentimes you could see the internal organs through the back of the individual, through where the meat had been stripped away through the bones. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. He suffered not only emotionally, but physically. As he went to Calvary, and they took that cross, and they took the hands that put the stars into the sky, They took the hands that that had reached out and lifted those that couldn't walk and and helped them to experience new life in him. Those hands that sat and patted the back of a woman by a well whose life had been marred by sin and said, Listen, you're going to have new life in me now. Those hands that had reached out and took little children and sat him upon his knee. Friend, those same little chubby hands that had once reached up from a manger to his mother. They took those hands and they nailed them to a cross. They took the feet that he carried the message of the gospel, and they nailed them to a cross. And then they would have stood that cross up, and it dropped down in the hole five or six feet as his whole body came down on those nails. He suffered physically for you and me. And prior to that, friend, they would have taken a crown of thorns and not only laid it on his brow, friend, they beat it into his brow so that it would stay there. Christ suffered emotionally. Christ suffered physically, but Christ suffered spiritually. As He hung up on the cross, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, But He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The thought of it made Him suffer emotionally. Friend, the reality of it made Him suffer spiritually. Christ became sin for us. When you be reminded, that's what Christmas is about. It's what it's all. All the other things are fine as long as they don't become idols. But the central thought is that Christ came for Him that He might suffer for our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Peter also reminds us secondly that Christ not only came to suffer for our sin, but He came to die in our place. He just didn't suffer. He didn't swoon or or pass out. He died, graveyard dead, for the wages of sin is death. Look what the Bible says in verse number 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. And there there are, you know, quote-unquote higher-learned theologians who say, well, really it would be impossible, you know, for a human to die and come back to life. You're exactly right. It would be impossible, but not for the God-man, Jesus Christ. And when the Bible says, friend, he died, he died. And if he didn't die, we're still lost in our sin. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. Christ had to die. Because that's the penalty for sin. And he came to do that for our sins. You, You go back to the garden. You see such a beautiful picture illustrated, sadly, of what Jesus would do for us, what happened in the garden. Remember that God... Created everything in those days, and it was all good. Adam and Eve were to be fruitful. They were to multiply. They were to enjoy marriage. They were to enjoy life. All of it was theirs from the North Pole to the South Pole. But as for the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, they weren't to the eat of, For the day thou eatest thou art, thou shalt surely die. That was, God's, that was God's proclamation. It's all yours, Adam. It's all yours, Eve, but you can't. Eat from that tree. In Genesis chapter 3 says, the serpent was more subtle so than any beast of the field, which the Lord God created. And into the garden he came. He began to speak to Eve and says, Now, Eve, did God really say that you can't eat from the tree? Did, did, now, did God really say that? When God didn't really say that, God just knows, Eve, that in the day you eat up, you're going to be just like him. What Satan was saying is this, and don't miss this this morning. You know, God's holding out on you. You know, you're really you're missing out on something. Him keeping that tree from you, is just God's, God's keeping something from you. Friend, I want to remind you this morning. When God says, thou shalt not, he's saying, I love you. It's for your protection. When God says, thou shalt, he's saying, help yourself to happiness. You need this. Satan tries to come and turn it the other direction. And say, well, now God's just saying, thou shalt not, because he's keeping something good for you. No, God was keep, God's keeping something bad from us. And God was keeping Adam and Eve from something bad. Because once they ate of it, sin came into the world. And so Eve was beguiled. Adam, he ate willingly. And the Bible says as soon as they listened to Satan's lie, they disobeyed God's command. The Bible says their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They knew they were naked. They stood before God naked in their sin. remember what the Bible says happened? They went and began to make aprons made out of fig leaves. I mean, what an exercise in futility from the outset, friend. As soon as you pick a leaf from its source of life, it begins to wither. And so by the time they even got these aprons withered together, they'd crack and fall off. And so here they were trying to hide the shame of their sin from an all seen all-knowing God. The book of Genesis chapter 3 says that God came in the cool of the day to spend time with His creation, but now something had happened. Now sin stood between Adam and Eve, and God knew it. And God said a question Genesis 3. He said, Adam, where are you? Well, God knew where they were. God knew what had happened. friend, God knew what Adam was going to do before He ever created Adam. But He still made him. He knew how it would all play out, but he still chose to do it. He said, Adam, where are you? Adam was hiding from an all-seen, all-knowing God trying to put together an apron made out of fig leaves, human effort to hide the shame of their sin. You remember what happened? God took an animal, the Bible says, and he killed the animal. And Adam and Eve saw something they had never seen before, blood. They saw blood. Leviticus 17.11 says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And Adam and Eve had to see the blood bubbles gurgling out of a little animal's throat as God killed it, skinned it, and then made tunics for Adam and Eve to cover the shame of their sin in a way that they couldn't cover themselves. And friend, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Mankind stands trying to hide the shame of our sin through good works. Well, I'll join a church. You're still naked in your sin. I'll try to be kind to my neighbor. I'll try to turn over a new leaf, and that leaf just falls off too. That's why John, as he saw Jesus Christ approaching on that early morning in the mist, he saw him walking up along the edge of the river and filled with the Holy Spirit again, just as he was when Mary came in when John was still in his mother's womb. He says, there he is! Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's why the Apostle Paul would write in the book of Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Be clothed in His righteousness. So friend, Christmas reminds us that Jesus came to die in our place, so that God could clothe us in a way that we could never clothe ourselves, that praise God, God doesn't see the person that I used to be. He only sees who I am now in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ that's been applied to my life by faith. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's a message that people need to hear today, friend. You know, we're so moved to anger as we see all the violence, all, all the crime. I, I was telling the Sunday school class this morning, I, I read on the news this morning, there's a man shot down by the cheesecake factory last night, down at the mall. I mean, crime is running rampant. I'm telling you, you can't get more cops, you can't legislate it, doesn't matter how many laws, and I'm all for more cops and all more laws if they prevent crime. But, friend, the only thing that will change men's hearts is when Jesus Christ comes to live within. That's it. That's what Christmas reminds us of. Christ was born so that he might die in our place, so that our sin might not just be covered, but be done away with. The just for the unjust, that we might be justified in him. It reminds us of that. But third, it reminds us that Christ came to reconcile us to God. He came to reconcile us to God. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 18. 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit to reconcile us to God. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 uh, through 11 say this. Romans 5 uh, and verse 2 says uh, that Jesus, through whom we also have access by faith to this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. To, to the church that was suffering in Rome. Paul says, don't forget, Caesar can take a lot of the things away from you, but through Jesus Christ, we have access by faith and to the grace of God. Well, what had prevented that access? Well, it was sin. Listen to verse 11 of Romans chapter 5. It says, and not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now experienced the reconciliation The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 22 that there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. You see, friend, God's condemnation of our sin is a declaration of war. When God declares man a sinner, that is, when Adam and Eve sinned, something happened. Every person that would be born after that would be born with a sin nature. And all they had to do, friend, is to look at the dead body of their son Abel on the ground and realize, we did this. Look what we've done. To see their dead son. How did this happen? It happened because of sin. Because Cain and Abel were both born with a sin nature. And I promise you, friend, you won't hear that in Washington. And you won't hear it on the news. That all the problems that exist are the result of sin. And the only cure for sin is a life surrender to Jesus Christ. See, man's separated from God. And so, you know, we we try psychology. We try all of these things. We throw money at the problem. You know, we, we do all these different things. And none of those things ever fix the real problem. The real problem is sin. And only Christ can reconcile us to God. And so man is at war with God. But when Jesus died on the cross, something happened. The author of Psalms 85 said it this way in verse number 10 Mercy and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed. When Jesus died on the cross because the wages of sin is death. when he rose from the grave, God's stamp of approval, I accept what my son has done. Then there was a way made, friend, that God would close the gap. Now the sin that stood between us and God, Isaiah 59, 2, now a bridge has been made at Calvary that we can be reconciled unto God. Remember as we studied our uh, study of the tabernacle. God gave Moses all these instructions how the tabernacle was to be erected and all the different layers that were to take place, the courtyard, then there were all of the furnishings, there was the altar, uh, there was the laver where they were to wash before entering, then as they entered into the, to the holy place, not the holy of holies, but, but to, to the left was the menorah, to the, to the right was the table of showbread, to the front was the altar of incense, but then there was a veil. There was a veil that nobody could go behind because that's where the Ark of the Covenant and then the mercy seat that sat upon it rested. And only once a year could the high priest go in there. But he had to have something with him. You see, between him and the Shekinah glory of God had to be the blood. The blood stood between. And only once a year could the high priest go. But the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross... Now that separation's not there anymore. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51 says that when Christ died on the cross, from the top to the bottom, the veil was rent. Not from the bottom to the top. Man didn't do it. No one went in there with a pair of scissors or a knife and says, well, let's let's rip it and make it look like something. No, friend. In the temple from the top to the top, to the bottom where no man could have reached it, God took His own two hands, friend, and ripped it apart and said, now there's a way that man can have constant fellowship with me. What had happened? It was reconciliation. The division that took place between God, now it was gone if men would simply turn and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. Paul would say it this way in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2. Again, through him whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In which we stand. He says we have have access by faith. Friend, you know, if you you come to my house at night, you know, and you try to get in, I'm not going to say what's going to happen to you, but you're not going to get in. There's only three other people here that can get into my house whenever they want to. You want to know why? Because they're part of the family. See, if I come to your house at 2 in the morning and I start rattling the doorknob, you're going to stick a gun out the window and shoot me. See, I don't have access to your house because I'm not part of the family. But when someone repents... And turns from their sin and trusts Jesus to be Lord of their life, friends. They're born into the family of God, and now they have access. You see, that's what Christmas is about. Jesus died to reconcile us to God. Now, I want you to listen to me. Church membership won't fix that. You know because I'm you, the, the biggest cult again around here. It's not the Mormons. It's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's the Good Baptist. It's people who simply believe just joining a church. Signing a card and be baptized will make you right before God. Friend, it won't. Sign a card just gives you something to fill out. Joining a church just gives you a bunch of people to belong to. And baptism just gets you wet. What reconciles you to God is when you choose to repent of your sin and by faith trust Jesus to be Lord of your life. That's when you're reconciled. And that's the great need that people have. Is that, that He might bring us to God. Look at verse 18 again. That He, He suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. What's the purpose? That He might bring us to God. That's the good news of the gospel. The bad news, friend, is that men are separated from God because of their sin. Ultimately, if they die, they're going to go to hell. But the good news that the angels came to tell those shepherds, and I want to remind you again, and say again in the face of of the doctrine of Calvinism today that's teaching people that God only predestined a few people. No, the Bible says it's good news for all people, praise the Lord. For all people. God wants everybody to be saved. And thank God it's a salvation that lasts for all eternity. It's eternal life. And that's good news that we need to share with people, that there's reconciliation that can be experienced, that He might bring us to God. Not only now, friend, but for all eternity. You need to understand that John 10, 10 and I have come, they might have life, spiritual life, life more abundantly, but it's eternal life in Christ. You know, I, I sometimes think church folk have forgotten that one day, friend, we're going to go to heaven. There's going to be joy in heaven. I think most people think heaven's just going to be like one big worship service. You know that when you die, you get there, you walk in, you find your pew. So where are we at in the service? So I've been here for 200 years, and you know, we haven't even got to the announcements yet. And that's not the way it's going to be. You see, you're so miserable sometimes in life, not because of God, but because of sin and misplaced focus. In heaven, all those things that compete with Jesus being first place, And then walking every day in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, they're going to be bound in hell. And I praise God, everybody's going to be happy in heaven. Not everybody's happy when you come to church. Everybody's going to be happy in heaven. And we're going to be with the Lord always. It's going to be an eternal life that we have in Him. And that's a good reminder that Christ came at Christmas. But listen, praise God, He's coming again. He's coming again. John 14, verse 3, Jesus says that where I am... There you may be also. There you may be also. Christ is, He's coming for us. I don't know if it was a, an omen, like an omen, uh, or it was just a challenge to get there. But before Melissa and I got married, she'd gone on down to Wetumpka to see her mom and dad, and she had some things that she had to do. Well, I was still working, and I had an exam. I was taking Hebrew through the summer, and I had an exam I had to take and some things. And I remember I, I was driving through Atlanta to get down there. And, friend, it was the worst storm I've ever gone through. I said, God, if you're trying to tell me something, it's a little late that she's already bought the dress. But I'm, I'm going on. I didn't look at it that way. I was, man, I was pressing on. Listen, there was nothing that was going to keep me from getting to my bride and bringing her, getting her away from her mom or daddy and bringing her back home. I was going to snatch her and bring her back home. Friend, listen, there's nothing in this world. They can't legislate it. The courts can't rule against it. When God says Jesus Christ is coming back, he's going to get us and he's going to take us home. We've been reconciled unto God. Listen, listen, friend, positionally, but one of these days, Christ has only saved us from the penalty sin, from possession of sin we can be free. but he's he's going to save us from the presence of sin. He's going to take us home to be with him one day for all eternity. It's going to be great. No more funerals. No more bad reports from the doctor. No more heartache. No more tears. No problems. No frowny faces. Nothing. Everybody's going to be happy and it's going to be perfect. And listen, it's all because Christ came to suffer for sins. The just for the unjust. That he might reconcile us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but praise God, listen, made alive by the Spirit. That little baby, I guarantee you that morning, he let Mary know she, he was alive and well. I mean, crying. Some asses, you think he cried? Absolutely, he cried. He was a baby. He wanted fed and he needed to be changed. He was all man, but he was all God. My friend, listen, he's coming back again for us too. He's coming back for us. You know, it's kind of the thing to do. Now, years ago, you didn't do this. I mean, I think this way. Don't you love gift cards? Some of you don't like it, and I'm just telling you, you don't. You're a hard gifter. That's what you are. You're difficult. I just got to tell you that you're difficult for your family. No, I want it to be something personal that I can watch them. Oh, just give them a gift card and let them get what they want, all right? That's help for you. But I need to remind you, this is a good service reminder for everybody in the church that gets a gift card, okay? You need to know that on the back, there's some fine print. You may not know this, but you need to look at it once you get it. Because it has a use by date on the back of it. You see, someone's given you a gift, but if you don't use it by that specific date, it'll be void. And there'll be no good. I experienced this one time. Somebody gave me a gift card. It's one of the first ones I ever used. I put it in my glove box and I forgot about it. And then when I found it, I tried to go use it, I'd I'd crossed a deadline. I'd crossed a deadline. And it was too late. The Bible says to seek the Lord while he may be found. To call upon him while he may be near. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 1 says, My spirit will not always strive with man. Don't you listen to me. Just because God calls you to salvation today, is calling you to experience His forgiveness, to be reconciled to Him through what Christ did on the cross for you, doesn't mean that He'll call you tomorrow. No one comes to the Father except the Spirit that sent Jesus draws Him. We have a responsibility to choose, but friend, you'll not choose unless He first initiates and draws you to salvation. Then you're going to have a choice. Receive him or reject him. But where the Spirit doesn't draw, you'll not call. And I encourage you, friend, if God is convicting you today that you're lost and you've never been saved, and you need to be reconciled to him, don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Because why don't you listen to me, on authority of God's word? You may never have an opportunity again to experience what Christmas is all about. Trust Jesus while he's speaking to your heart today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No one's looking around. I want to ask you a question. If you died today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? 100%. How can you know? Well, The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. What's written is the plan of salvation. Has there ever really been a moment in your life where you repented of sin? and you trust Jesus to be Lord of your life? Can you really point to a day where you chose to turn from sin and you trust Jesus to be Lord of your life? If not, friend, let this be that day. Choose to turn. Be reconciled to God today. Be clothed in Christ's righteousness and experience personally what Christmas is really all about. You know, Christmas morning... Surely somebody's going to give you a gift. The day before, day of, or day after, somebody's going to give you a gift because they love you. But you've got a choice, receive it or reject it. If you've never been saved, don't reject God's gift of salvation. Receive it now by faith. Tell him so just like this that you want to be saved from your sin. Pray just like this from your heart. God, forgive me a sinner. I believe that Jesus came to die for me. I believe he died in my place. And I choose to turn from all the sin that's in my life. And I trust Jesus to be Lord of my life today. Come live in my heart. Be Lord of me. God, thank you for saving me. Now take me and make me into the person you want me to be. That's my prayer. Our heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer, I want to invite you in just a moment. When they begin to sing one of the greatest songs that's ever been written about God's perfect love for us, would you not make your way to the front so I can explain to you from God's Word what He wants to do next in your life? You say, oh, I thank God I've been saved. I've been reconciled. I've received God's gift. I want to ask you a question, friend. Listen to me. What are you giving God What are you giving back every day? There's nothing you can give to be saved, but what are you giving because you have been saved? Does He have the best of your time? Does He have all of your life? Are you being obedient to what He's told us to do, and that's tell other people how to be saved? To share with them His Word that you're learning each day so that they can follow the Lord in holiness. I want to ask you this. Is there any part of your life that you've compartmentalized away from the Lordship of Christ? Is there a practice of sin today? Is there anything in your life that you'd be ashamed of if Jesus came and found you doing? Then turn from that today. Right here before Christmas, what a way to show Him how thankful you are for what He did for you, to recommit and resubmit your life to His Lordship. Maybe your prayer needs to be this today. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die in my place. You loved me so much. You sent Christ that I might be reconciled. You died for me. You suffered for me. But God, I've drifted. I'm ashamed of where I've come to spiritually. I've allowed these things you're showing me, these things to come between me and you. God, today I want to turn from all that. And just like when I first got saved, I want to resubmit my life wholly to the Lordship of Christ. That's my gift to you. Not only at Christmas, but every day. Father, I pray you'll speak to your church. There are other decisions that need to be made. But Father, break our hearts over those who aren't here this morning. Lord, they're lost in their sins just doing life, just living life. So blinded, they're holding on to Satan's second best. God, would you use us? Give us divine opportunities to share with these people what you've done. And God, I pray they'll see it in our life in every single way. Thanks for reminding us this morning again, God, from your Word what Christmas is all about. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's reverently stand their feet. Heads your back.